0: Primary Care Knowledge Boost Podcast 11, Hematology, Immunoglobulins.
1: Welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. I'm Dr. Sarah McDermott. And I'm Dr. Lisa Adams. Today we have consultant haematologist Dr. Gregory Back for our final episode in our haematology series. In this episode, we get his opinion about how to interpret immunoglobulin results and touch on MGUS and myeloma. There are two previous haematology episodes and the first is looking at a general approach to anemia including iron deficiency anemia and uh, the second one is more about B12 and folate deficiency. We'd recommend starting with those before moving on to this episode. Welcome back to Primary
2: Care Knowledge Boost.
1: Would you mind just reintroducing yourself for our listeners?
2: Sure, my name is Dr Chris Gregory, I'm a haematology consultant uh, working at WWL Trust.
1: I
0: guess generally to start, when, when should we be checking immunoglobulins?
2: Sure. So immunoglobulins certainly aren't one of these GP blood tests that I expect people to be having routine on annual screening or well-man or well-woman checkups. Yeah. So... um unfortunately we do get the odd case where people have just kind of ticked the box as it were and then the result comes back and people are scratching their heads as to the significance of it Mm -hmm. i suppose the main reason for doing it is in screening for someone who you may think have multiple myeloma Mm -hmm. Um, so there are kind of nice referral guidelines to say look you know if you've got someone suspected then ideally you want to do immunoglobulins and you'll get electrophoresis at the same time as that Mm -hmm. and also serum-free light chains as a screening test to then decide Um, if you need to refer on to haematology yeah Um, ideally you want to put that as an urgent request and hopefully the lab should be able to process it back within 24 to 48 hours yeah if you send it as a non-urgent test then it can usually take a week or so to come back so in these patients obviously if time is of the essence regarding cancer referrals and diagnoses then then uh, you know marking it as urgent does make a bit of a difference Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm
0: so as an aside for the wigan lab if you request immunoglobulins they will do both the separate igg iga and igm levels and but they'll also do electrophoresis even if the immunoglobulin levels are normal
1: yeah serum free light chains is a separate test that the lab will only do on request but if a patient has an immunoglobulin test recently they might be able to add on a serum free light chain test at the same time for the same blood sample now back to the podcast (coughs)
2: immunoglobulins can sometimes also be useful in people who have kind of chronic infections and you're worrying that yeah. they have an underlying immunodeficiency or disorder yeah. but um, in and of themselves won't necessarily diagnose the problem but may give you an indication as to see if something is low and therefore you know do you need to refer on to someone else who can do sort of the specialist testing yeah
0: brilliant and um, so i guess if we talk through um, the potential abnormalities that we could find on an immunoglobulin test um, so perhaps starting with them all being low what would be the significance of that
2: sure so so panhypogamma globulinemia the there are a few potential causes for that um one of the more common ones is people who've got severe renal impairment nephrotic syndrome problems like that where they are essentially kind of peeing out too much protein Uh, immunoglobulins are one of our proteins so any sort of loss of that including kind of low albumin levels will, will kind of affect the total immunoglobulin levels yeah um, people can have other more significant problems like common variable immune deficiency where um, it's usually a genetic condition where they just have a high risk of infections and other problems like cancer mm-hmm. um, because their immune system hasn't fully developed. Right. Patients tend, not always, but tend to present sort of earlier in life, whether that's sort of teenage or young adult life. Mm-hmm. So again, it's unlikely that you'll get someone presenting with that problem in their 60s, 70s or 80s. It's usually going to have been picked up before them.
1: yeah would they have anything on
2: their white blood cells so so they can sometimes have neutropenia or low white cell count but but sometimes they can just have normal white cells and it it's it's more likely to affect their lymphocytes and the lymphocyte count again is one of those things which isn't necessarily always looked at yeah um but but the total white cell counts could still be normal even if their lymphocytes are still on the low side of things so yeah immunoglobulins and lymphocytes tend to go together because it's the the plasma cells that come from the lymphocytes that produce these immunoglobulins so um but yeah but but certainly that's not an absolute and people can just have normal Mm. lymphocyte counts and still low immunoglobulin so
0: right yeah
2: the other type of acquired immunodeficiency is obviously um, HIV and AIDS and things as well mm. so if you've got someone with sort of low immunoglobulins then and a low lymphocyte count then certainly considering screening yeah. for, for that is, is, is important or at the very least sort of asking them about possible risk factors and things whether then you go on to do a HIV test or not will partly dependent on on their likelihood of having it.
1: Yeah yeah really important. What if one of the immunoglobulins alone
2: is, is low? Sure. Again, it's, it's probably not significant. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people can just have um, genetic conditions where they do have isolated low IgG, A or M. Mm-hmm. Um, in those circumstances, they're probably going to get higher risks of infections. Yeah. IgM is more commonly associated with the mucocutaneous barrier mm-hmm. so they may have more problems with mouth sores and blisters and, and ulcers and things mm-hmm. like that affecting their gut mm-hmm. um the iga they're more i suppose commonly associated with having blood problems in particular if they have blood transfusions then they can have reactions to it if they've got an iga really? deficiency okay. so if people are found to have that then we inform our blood bank to make sure that they get special blood products that have got the iga levels depleted and things to mm-hmm. so that they don't have reactions with it um and they're not again commonly sort of risk of big infections but but that's something which kind of a particular sort of risk to them yeah. um low ig low ig levels are probably the most commonly associated with bacterial infections or recurrent sort of chest infections and things like that
1: yeah so that's really interesting if we find somebody with a, a low one of those three igm yeah. IgG, or iga is there a sort of hard and fast rule about repeating or referring
2: sure so it, it These things can just generally dip with age. Mm -hmm. So, you know, over the age of 60, people's levels may just start to drop down. They can also drop down as well with infection. So if people have had an obvious sort of trigger factor, that might be a way to think, well, you know, I don't have anything historical, but there may be a reason why it's gone down low. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, let's just repeat it again in a month or two, particularly if the patient's generally well. Obviously, if someone is having recurrent infections, and that's the prompting you to then check the immunoglobulins and you find that one is low then you know referral on is 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 probably something that they may benefit from mm-hmm. as a general rule the immunoglobulins if it's just sort of an isolated deficiency are probably more likely to be seen by an immunologist yeah um wigan doesn't have an immunologist so we tend to refer people to salford or get mm-hmm. people seen by the immunology team there yeah Um, again sometimes people get referred on to us and we usually write back and say look you know it's probably not hematological it's probably more likely immunodeficiency of some sort of variation yeah Uh, and there's various treatments which they sometimes give which we wouldn't normally
0: yeah Yeah. Um, and so what if they're all high
2: so so if they're all high it's likely to be a polyclonal rise and and that basically means it's just lots of different types of immunoglobulins Mm -hmm. we typically think of the three main types, but even within the IgG, you've got thousands, if not millions, of different subtypes of IgG immunoglobulin. Yeah. And so all of them are kind of going up and that's just a sign of the body's immune response trying to fight some sort of general inflammation or infection. Yeah. Um there's obviously certain types of bacterial infection or viral infection, hepatitis for example, where you're more likely to see shifts in IgG or IgM level depending on where they are in their infection process. Yeah. Um, so, so polyclonal rises, whether that's one, two or three of them, are usually not sort of a significant problem to do with a bone marrow, more likely that they've got some sort of inflammatory problem. Um, so on those side of things... You wouldn't necessarily need to repeat them um, just to see if they settle down. The general assumption is if they're clinically improved from whatever problem they had, they had antibiotics or antiviral treatment or whatever, and and they are clinically better, then the assumption is the immunoglobulins are probably just settling back down again and will hopefully normalise.
1: Okay. So the last type of response we could get back from the blood test is a one high. Yep. So we just had one high immunoglobulin.
2: Yeah, again, so... So if it's just sort of a raised IgG level, the, the thing to look for on the lab report is whether, again, it looks polyclonal or monoclonal. Uh-huh. So a polyclonal rise in just one of them could still just be related to inflammation. Yeah, A monoclonal rise is obviously something which is more kind of down my street, which yeah. may indicate that there's a problem with the bone marrow with one type of plasma cell producing this immunoglobulin overproducing it or there's too many of them again that's obviously the basis for types of cancer when one cell divides and replicates too much. Yeah. Um so that so that's sort of uh, a monoclonal rise is, is an indication to think, you know, should I be referring to hematology a polyclonal rise again probably just to look for for other types of inflammatory problems and things.
0: Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk us through um the myeloma versus MGUS situation?
2: Sure. So myeloma is sort of a a spectrum in some ways, and and MGUS is considered to be sort of a, a pre-cancerous condition. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who has MGUS will go on to develop cancer. Um, there is a sort of an associated annual risk of transformation from the MGUS into a myeloma. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain kind of criteria which we look at, which include the type of immunoglobulin. So IgG generally is less likely to transform than IgA or IgM levels. Okay. the the value of the total paraprotein amount, so high paraproteins are much more likely to transform than low paraproteins. Generally less than five is kind of a very good one, a very kind of good marker. And then the third thing that we tend to look at is the light chain and light chain ratio. Mm -hmm. So if someone's got an IgG paraprotein that's less than five with normal light chain ratio, their risk of transformation into myeloma is probably less than 5% in a 20-year period. Right. So particularly if you're screening someone who's, you know, in their 70s, if they live to 90, well, 5% chance, and that's pretty good odds on the whole, they're much more likely to die of some other problem, heart disease, stroke, other type of cancer yeah. and things. Yeah. So that gives us a kind of a basis in terms of how frequently people need to be monitored, if at all, and whether things can be discharged to primary care. Yeah. Um, what defines myeloma is when people start to get end organ damage so we we often refer to the acronym of CRAB um, related to that so kind of um, where they get calcium problems, hypercalcemia, they get renal impairment, yep. anemia, or other problems with bones, lytic lesions. Right. So unexplained bony pains right. or changes on chest on X-rays. Again, they're sort of indications that this has gone from just a precancerous to the more significant problem.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Because that falls on quite nicely to the um, next question, which is about what symptoms should flag up to us a possibility of something like myeloma.
2: Yeah. So, um, again, many people can have paraproteins and have absolutely no symptoms. It's one of these things that sometimes just gets screened for and looked at. Yep. And in those circumstances, we're more than happy to get referrals for people who, you know, have no other problems with any other organ. You know, they're, they're fit and well otherwise. Yeah. Um, and that way we can just sort of monitor them, usually by our nurse led clinics as well. Literally. Particularly sometimes these patients, you know, we can pick up the odd ones in the people who are 40, 50 or 60. Mm-hmm you know, if they live to 80, well, their chances of transformation may be that bit higher than someone who's already in their 70s yeah. sort of thing. And, and their life expectancy may not be quite as long. Yeah. So certainly for those younger patients, if you pick up paraproteins, then even if there's no signs of myeloma. So like, um, oh, should
0: that be a routine referral or an urgent exactly, referral?
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so for those ones who are, who are generally fit and well, even if their paraprotein is, you know, above five, then for those ones, routine referrals. Lovely. For people who've got proteins and then other problems yeah. that would probably prompt a two-week cancer referral, and we'll, yeah. we'll see them as soon as we can. Again, it may be that their anemia is just caused by an iron deficiency, and they just happen to have this MGUS in the background and things. Yeah. But um, you know, at least we can rule that one out and give you guys peace of mind.
0: Brilliant, um, and that acronym CRAB is great for it. Were there any other symptoms that we might see from myeloma?
2: So, so again following on from those types of problems people may get the some of the symptoms of hypercalcemia so if the calcium's raised then it's the moans bones stones and groans type of thing yep. uh so changes in bowel habit or confusion and things again there may be sort of some soft signs of uh of, of developing hypercalcemia mm-hmm. um the renal impairment so again you know you can notice perhaps changes in fluid retention edema um the anemia, sort of increasing breathlessness, tiredness, fatigue, Yeah, you, you're probably, again, going to notice a drop in hemoglobin before they start to get symptoms. Um, the bone side of things, it, many patients will complain of sort of generalized osteoarthritic type of pains. Yeah, The, the sort of pains that myeloma is more likely to give is, is in the bones itself. Mm-hmm. So rather than being at a joint position, so not the elbow or the shoulder joint, but maybe in the actual midshaft of the humerus or somewhere like that. Yeah. And again, sometimes people may have had problems that they've gone on for years, and it's more asking about the changes or intensity of the pain that they may be experiencing. Mm. Um, back pain and fractures again can obviously happen in a variety of causes, and myeloma is one of them. So, if people mm. have unexplained um, vertebral fractures, sudden pain, screening for osteoporosis, but also thinking you know, could this be sort of myeloma? Yeah. So that may prompt immunoglobulin check as well from that side of things in the past we've often talked about urinary bench jones proteins Mm. Um, and um, that is basically the light chain aspect of an immunoglobulin molecule which is then being passed out in the urine yeah Yeah. Um, they got the name bench jones from the person who discovered them all those years ago yeah Um, the the bench jones proteins or the the light chains in the urine only tend to be excreted in the urine when they've actually got quite a significant light chain load already right or perhaps they've got some other underlying renal impairment but in generally sort of healthy individuals who've got normal functioning kidneys they could still potentially have quite a high light chain level developing myeloma before that so we now have a serum blood test or the serum free light chain which is in some respects a replacement to the bench jones proteins in the urine so you are you can get bench jones proteins which are negative but an abnormal serum free light chain level and that can still again then indicate they may have transformed into myeloma so, um, so as a general rule, if you're going to do some tests handling blood, is usually better than handling we as well and it's easier to get from most patients. Yeah. So um, so yeah, so that's probably one that you can get immunoglobulins, electrophoresis and the light chains done at the same blood test sample yeah. and not worry about patient dropping off a urine sample later on for gotcha. just sending off to the lab.
0: Interesting. Uh, a lot of the guidelines talk about um, for GPs um, starting with the full blood count ESR and, and um, bone profile yeah. um, and those being quite um, reliable in a way and if they're all normal then myeloma is very unlikely. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, it's just that screening for, for end organ damage, really. So, so they may still have an MGUS, yeah. But but if those things are are normal and you know they're not complaining of severe bony pains and things, then it's unlikely that they have going kind to of have transformed at that point in time. So yeah, they're, they're certainly useful tests. Uh, did you include UNEs in in that one? I can not know if I said that. You know, yeah. so a so full blood count, UNEs, bone profile, and an ESR. Again, ESR is one of those things which. Um, can go up in a polyclonal rise. So it's not very specific to myeloma and mm-hmm. certainly if you've got a raised ESR and a polyclonal rise in either one or more of your immunoglobulins, then my mind would usually go towards a vasculitis, polymyalgia rheumatica, mm-hmm. those sorts of inflammatory problems as well, which can give ESRs of, of quite high. Nice. Again, obviously, you know, over fifties it's unlikely you're gonna get it in the under fifty population. Yeah.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. The last question we have for you is about um good resources to help us when we're looking at blood results or all things haematology?
2: Sure, sure. So sometimes you can get useful information from lab tests online which gives you a guide as to looking at different particular lab values and the significance of certain tests yeah Um, having looked at it myself regarding immunoglobulins and light chains it doesn't actually really talk about much in terms of the interpretation of these things Mm -hmm. so so there are certain things but i wouldn't want too many gps to get bogged down hunting through sort of quite sort of i suppose hematologically specific um, resources so you know if you are concerned just pick up the phone and contact your friendly neighborhood hematologist or or write us a letter through the advice and guidance system as well and we're more than happy to try and sort of I suppose guide referrals as to whether these can just be repeated and monitored or or whether an urgent referral is required Um, we'd much rather sort of give some advice rather than either not getting referrals at all or equally just getting lots of sort of the the mundane ones which don't necessarily need to come to us
0: Brilliant, that's great. Um, So thank you very much for um, sitting through this series with us and and giving us some great advice for GPs out there. We really appreciate it. Thank you. you. So that was another great chat with Dr Gregory, wasn't it, Sarah?
1: Uh, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the part about thinking about immunoglobulins, electrophoresis and serum-free light chains as the way to fully screen for myeloma. I had to look up why we do both immunoglobulins and electrophoresis afterwards. And I found that the immunoglobulin test will give you the breakdown of types of different immunoglobulins like IgA and IgG and M, but you need the electrophoresis to determine if these are poly or monoclonal, with the monoclonal immunoglobulins being more suspicious.
0: Ah, that's interesting. Okay, that does make more sense. Um, I think you I took away... <laughs> I don't think I did. Okay. I took away... Um, so yeah, I took away that um, considering MGUS and myeloma as a sort of spectrum, um, and thinking of myeloma um, a, of being the one that has the effect on the end organs. Yeah, um, and I'll definitely be using that acronym CRAB. Yeah, that he told us about the um, calcium renal anemia and bone, bone, bone pain. Yes, yeah, yep. so. think um, and think of that as end organ damage um, that could suggest transformation into myeloma. Um, so don't forget, you can tweet us at PCKB Podcast or um, send us an email at primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com.
1: And as ever, another plea for our survey. If you've been enjoying these episodes, the best way to let us know is to fill out our survey. The link to the survey is in the episode description. Um, and so next up, um, we finished our haematology series and we've got
0: a couple of great episodes with Dr. Rebecca Barron about resilience, and um, which we can't wait to share with you. Yeah. Till next time on Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public.
1: They were recorded in Wigan in 2019. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice.
0: It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from
1: this podcast. Check out the episode description for more information and for any links that we've mentioned in the episode.